This podcast is intended for adult audiences. Over the age of 18, it contains adult language and situations. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to us, and not of any employer, organization, committee, or other group or individuals. This podcast is not intended to be taken as professional advice. Welcome to the Swing Nation Podcast, a podcast by swingers for swingers, where we look to educate others and push back on the negative stigmas and misconceptions associated with our lifestyle. Come with us and share our pineapple journey as we travel the globe, interview the experts, learn and grow together. Join the nation. Most people have unprotected oral sex, right? Be honest. Now think about your last STD test. Did your doctor tickle your throat with something that looked like a giant Q-tip? Probably not. Yet that's the only way to check for oral gonorrhea or chlamydia, which are often asymptomatic. You need a better doctor. You need shamelesscare.com. Use coupon code TSN at checkout. So Lacey, people are asking, how do they get to go to a party or an event with us? They check out swingersociety.net. You create a profile, you sign up for an event, and you come hang out with us. It's super easy. That's right. If you want to party with us and the other faces and names that you know from social media and TikTok, head on over to swingersociety.net. Can't wait to see you there. Lacey, we get approached by couples all the time, and they want to know, like, where can they learn the 101s of non-monogamy? Yeah, I totally get it. You want to get in the lifestyle, but you just don't know where to start. We recommend Sex by Sue's class on non-monogamy. She really helps couples learn how to communicate and do the lifestyle the correct way. Yeah, I think this lifestyle, you know, it's crucial not to to step on the landmines that a lot of us do. Yeah. And you kind of learn the hard way, you know. So having a class that you can take online, you know, in the privacy of your own home and kind of learn the ins and outs, learn, you know, how to approach the lifestyle, how to communicate with your partner about it. Um, you know, I think it's something worth taking and uh, we highly recommend it. Yeah. So click below in the show notes. You'll find this link for that course. Check it out, guys. Bye. Bye. Hey there, pineapple people, and welcome to the Swing Nation podcast. We are your hosts, Northern Guy. And Southern Girl. In today's podcast, we have a special guest with us today, um, Dr. Store, and uh, she's a gynecologist specializing in pelvic and sexual pain and sexual dysfunction. Uh, her and her husband are actually members of the lifestyle and both very passionate about making sure that people in the lifestyle are able to obtain the highest levels of healthcare without fear of prejudice or bias, which when I read your bio, Dr. Store, I was like, man, that, li- that lines up <laughs> so well with all the things that we're trying to do here as a Swing Nation podcast. So we appreciate you joining us and welcome. Dan and Lacey, such an honor. Thank you so much for having me here. Uh, and so usually the way we like to kick it off here, especially when we get um, new people on the podcast, is kind of the way most lifestyle people start conversations, is we would like to talk a little bit about um, your origin story, um, since you are somebody in the lifestyle. So how, how did you get involved in the lifestyle? Um, you know, I guess, did, I assume, did that come first or did, were you a doctor and then got involved? And, and how, how did all that work out? 
Actually, my husband and I were together for 10 years in monogamous before we even thought about this. And I was a doctor even before we got married. So I've, I've been a doctor for a hot minute. Um, it's actually kind of a funny story. I guess, of course, everybody I assume thinks their story is a little funny. I was at a conference several years back. Um, it's commonly known as ISWISH, but it's the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. And this conference is super fun with a lot of people that are all sexual specialists. And one of the days at that conference that year, there was a full half day committed to non-traditional sexual lifestyles. And I took a couple of screenshots and sent them to my husband as kind of a nudge nudge. One of them was about the likelihood of children in polygamous relationships having actually higher social ability scores and um, being well-adjusted. And then the other one was um, about pornography, oddly enough, about uh, adult pornography not being dangerous for um, sexual functioning. And neither one of us said anything about it for over six months. <laughs> so my husband, I think, thought that it was a trap of some nature. Um, in fact, he says that. But at a date night, about six months later, he brought a sexual interest questionnaire on date night. And so we both filled it out. And one of the questions was, have you ever been interested in a threesome? And both of us were brave enough to be honest about it. And that's that's kind of where it started. That's awesome. Isn't that where most people start, though, if you think about it? Because a threesome is so, is so sexually like accepted. So I think a lot of people feel safe to say they want to have a threesome. I think it's definitely more sexually appropriate to talk about a threesome than to talk about like an orgy. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you had that conversation, realized you were both interested and then you, you, you found your way to the lifestyle or, I mean, you went to a local club or like how to, what did it look like starting out? Uh, yeah, actually that night when we got home, I was brushing my teeth and in the middle of brushing my teeth, I, I kind of looked at my husband sideways and I said, so I wonder how people get into this. And he said, I'll look into it. And then about two weeks later, we went to a local lifestyle club that was uber intimidating. Um, we didn't know anybody there and weren't really sure what we were doing. But one of the couples there suggested that we get onto a couple of the lifestyle websites and set up profiles. And that that's really how we got into things. Fairly soon thereafter, we had some interest on a couple of those websites and met up with a couple people and it uh, snowballed from there. Yeah, no, that's that's that seems to be the the standard, uh, and that's you know it, it's so funny that it, it's hard. Like if you don't, you, you kind of have to be in the know, right? You have to be on one of those websites, or you really have to seek out the information. It's like it's like this whole world doesn't exist until all of a sudden somebody opens Pandora's box for you, and then you're like, holy cow! Like this is a real thing. Like there's lots of people doing this. Yeah, it's kind of like we're all wizards and such, and everybody else is muggles. I don't know. You don't know what exists unless you know what exists. <laughs> There are so many people in our Discord server that are going to be happy that you mentioned that. <laughs> we have all we have a whole channel for uh, what what is Harry Potter? Is that am I, is that even the right reference? Yeah. I, I mess this yeah, up and they get Harry, mad at it's me. It's Harry but, Potter. Yeah. I'm a little sad that you don't know that, and a little happy that everybody else does. <laughs> no, we went to we went to Universal, and um, Dan kept calling it Harry Potter World, or instead of um, Hogwarts, he kept calling it Wizard World or something, and I'm sure it pissed everybody off. <laughs> 
I did not realize how big Harry Potter was in the swinger community, but we have a whole channel on our Discord server that's dedicated just to Harry Potter stuff. But there are some good pictures, Scott, that get posted there, so that's 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 a plus. Um, but so uh, I assume by reading your bio and, and your information that that you were outwardly um, part of the lifestyle and part of the swinger community. Is that true? I would say yes and no. I know that's an odd question. If people ask, uh, we're not shy about telling. But it's not something that I like advertise on the website for my office by any means. Um, most of my YouTube stuff, I know you've seen some of my YouTube channel. It doesn't necessarily outwardly say that I'm in the lifestyle, but I think it certainly suggests it. So do, um, with that, with you know you making YouTube videos and, and being somewhat public, are, are you afraid that that could affect your your career and your profession and that could that you there could be fallout from that if your local community or your local, you know, hospitals and doctors within your, your community found out about that? I don't know. It doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't really bother me that much. I know that sounds kind of odd. Um, as a, a sex specialist, I don't know that it would necessarily affect my work very much. Um, also, I'm in a, a specialty that's kind of unusual and very difficult to access because there's just not that many of us. So being a pelvic and sexual pain comprehensive specialist, um, people would have to go a long way to find somebody else. And I have people that fly to me from other locations in the world. So I don't know that it would necessarily affect my job that much. Um, I think, you know, some of my patients that just come and see me for regular GYN stuff might not see me if they knew outwardly that we were in the lifestyle. Um, I do live in a pretty conservative state. So it, it, it could be a thing, but it, honestly, I don't think it's going to be that big of a problem if it was outwardly known, posted up on Facebook kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, that's such a, you know, like a big part of why me and Lacey are trying to, you know, I guess make waves in this community and, 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 and change that. Cause there's, there's so many people that are, are living in genuine fear that, that I think want to be out and want to, you know, are, are proud of this community and, and, and love being part of this community, but just are so afraid to, to be public with it or, or what people you know, will do or think if, if they find out that, that they don't, you know what I mean? And, and I, I just, you know, it's 2022. I feel like we should be past this at this point, but for some reason we're not. Yeah. I think in our area, um, I, one of the biggest concerns I think of people that I know that are in the lifestyle is that they'll lose, lose their church community. Um, and churches is, is huge here. It's kind of like everybody belongs to a church. It's sort of more like a social club because, um, a lot of people in the lifestyle are church going members, and I think there's more of a concern about losing your support system in a situation yeah. like that. No. Yeah. That makes total sense. And, and you're right. Like, you know, we get a lot of hate on, on TikTok and people saying like, you know, you need to find God and you, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, you, you don't, you have no idea how many people, you know, we've met preachers and, and priests mm-hmm. and Baptists, you know, like, so, so it, many it, people are in the lifestyle that go, that regularly attend church. And I think people would be shocked to know how many people sit next to them at church that are also in the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If people were more outward about it, it, it could definitely cause some big waves within the Christian community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So we, I have a few questions for you since, you know, I, I think it's great to learn about you and the, and the lifestyle and kind of your experience, but uh, more specific to healthcare, are, are there some unique healthcare concerns that about members in the lifestyle you know, are there, is there healthcare concerns that are unique to people that are just part of the non-monogamous community? Yeah, there sure are. I, I don't know that it's necessarily as big of a divide as we think. And I know that sounds sort of odd, but even people that are outwardly in the lifestyle, um, 
they may have more known partners to their physicians if they're open with their physicians about it. But everybody that comes into a GYN's office should be offered screenings and certain types of um, prophylaxis and preventative medications and such. Um, but in the lifestyle, it, it's kind of for physicians, like knowing that somebody is engaging in uh, same-sex relationships. There are different considerations when we know women are having sex with women or men are having sex with men. When we know that someone has a lot of different sexual partners, there are some definite considerations. Um, and also to include what types of activities they're engaging in within that environment, because some of the um, some of the medical specifics related to that are different for people that are having more than just a few sexual partners on the regular. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And then, you know, this, my next question is, um, do you th- think that people in the lifestyle are probably receiving subpar healthcare or are not addressing some concerns that they should be addressing because, because of the stigma that's associated with this community? Oh, absolutely. I have absolutely zero doubt Um, there's some statistics, which I think are are really interesting. I'm only going to throw out one because I don't want to be the numbers nerd here, but of people presenting to an STD clinic that are in the lifestyle, only about 50 to 60% of them will tell an STD clinic that they have multiple partners and they're there for STD testing. So you can imagine how many people walk into their primary care doc's office or their gynecologist and actually, you know, fess up to it. It's got to be low to minimal. We actually don't have data on that that I'm aware of. Yeah. And then I guess the next question was, even if they did tell their doctor, would their doctor know what that meant or what to do with that information to to change their, you know what I mean? Probably not. (laughs) The only thing that doctors are likely to think of in this type of situation is, hey, you need STD testing. And that is one small little slice of it. Um, I actually had posted up on my YouTube channel about like non-monogamy lifestyles and that sort of thing. And it had somebody in the medical community, it was another physician, comment on that thread on Facebook, if I remember correctly. And she said, well, why do I care? The only thing we're going to do different is offer STD testing. And I offer that to everyone anyways. And it was like a face plant. I was like, oh, my gracious Lord Almighty. You, Yeah, there's a lot more that needs to be done than just STD testing for people who are living in the lifestyle in order to be not only safe, but to prevent pregnancy, et cetera. Yeah. And that, that, I guess my follow up question to that, since, you know, this, you know, I think what you just said is going to be shocking to a lot of people that they can't even go there. You know, even if they went to their doctor and were open about being in the lifestyle, there are probably some things that maybe, maybe even people in the lifestyle don't don't realize that they should be doing. Can you can you just can you hit some highlights for us? I know you probably could go the whole hour on this stuff, but can you hit what are some of the things that that people should be aware of? Oh, I totally could go the whole hour about this. Um, so highlights, yes, you need a regular STD testing. Um, And that frequency kind of depends on how many people you're with and how often you're with them and how many other people they're with. Um, You need to be on some potential medications to prevent certain types of sexually transmitted infections. Some of those do have prophylactic meds. Um, And really, you need to be as a female on some type of long-acting reversible contraceptive or as a male um, with a vasectomy in order to prevent unwanted pregnancies, which can be a big problem, especially in the United States right now. So those are highlights. 
I think those are all those are all good highlights, and I, I think most of yeah, those, those I think is pr- is pretty pretty common. You know, I, I think I I would I would have you know I resonated with most of those as as being aware of them at least. So that's I, I feel better about that. <laughs> I know when she said it at first, I was like, what are we not doing? (laughs) You guys may be doing more, but I I think a lot of the details within those things are what people aren't necessarily doing. Like, are we doing all of the things we should be doing to prevent sexually transmitted infections? Are a lot of women aware that they can be on a long acting reversible contraceptive that's infinitely better than pills, which have a fairly high failure rate? Yeah, and I, we get that question a lot about pregnancy all the time, like in my TikTok lives and stuff. But I find a lot of the women in the lifestyle and men are either at the stage in their lives where their tubes are tied, they've had a hysterectomy, or the men have had vasectomy. That seems to be, like, more common than not. It's definitely more common in people who have finished childbearing. I would say that for sure. Um, and so if you're really looking at your, like, 40s and up crowd, most likely they've got something going to prevent a pregnancy. But we know a lot of people in the lifestyle, my husband and I personally, that are younger. They're in their 20s and 30s, and they haven't completed childbearing yet. And those women, some of them are just taking birth control pills. And I've had sit-down chit-chats with them about the failure rate of birth control pills. And it kind of is a little eye-opening to them to realize there's things they could be doing that are infinitely safer and more effective than that to prevent pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's that's important to, to mention and, and to know. And, and and you're right. I would think, you know, it's interesting to us because I feel like over the last year, you know, since COVID, that we've seen more of the, the younger generation start to get interested in this. this I, I say this community, but it seems to me like the ones that are 30 and under, they don't necessarily call it. They don't want to call it swinging. They don't want to call it the lifestyle. They, they just are OK with having sex with multiple partners, but they don't really want it to be labeled as something. Yeah, I think there's kind of a push against labeling in the younger crowds. Um, I know personally multiple people who don't call it anything. They, you know, I have one friend, very dear friend, who um, is a female who has sex with both males and females, but doesn't want to be labeled as bisexual or pansexual. And she's like, well, it just is what it is. I don't want a label for it. And I think that's more common in the younger crowd to not have a type of label for this. Um, Labels are nice for some reasons because, you know, you walk into your doctor's office and if they're familiar and you say, hey, I'm a swinger, they know what that means. Um, But if you're coming into the office and they're like not uh, familiar with you not labeling it and you just say, well, I have several sexual partners, they may think, oh, well, you know, they have a boyfriend and somebody else on the side and not realize that what they mean by that is they go to a house party on the weekends and have sex with 14 people. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's definitely... uh... A big difference there. And I think it, it is, I would imagine it's important for the doctors to know that information. But I just, I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine in today's day and age that really anybody would go into their primary care physician and have that type of conversation with them. It's definitely awkward. Um, something you had mentioned in another conversation is I think it is kind of like the LGBTQIA plus community was about 10 years ago. They would never walk into the doctor's office and say, hey, I'm gay. I like to sleep with people of the same gender. Um, because they were afraid of the stigma associated with that. And I think we get that same stigma now when people walk into the doctor's office and say, hey, I'm not monogamous and I'm not cheating. My husband's aware and my husband does this too. So there's, there's definitely a stigma associated with it. And physicians, to some extent, have a stigma with that, just like they do with anything. A female walking in complaining of pain is going to get less appropriate pain management than a male coming in walking with the same complaint. 
we have literature to prove that. So I can only imagine people walking into the doctor's office saying they're non-monogamous are probably not going to get the same appropriate level of care as people who walk in and are meeting normal social expectations. Yeah. So I, and that leads perfectly into my next question is, is, you know, how, how do, what would you recommend if somebody, you know, I guess you're recommending that they should have that conversation with their doctor. What does that look like? How should they go about that? I I do recommend it. I think it's very important for your doctor to know this. Uh, A lot of the doctors that I speak with, they say, oh yeah, no, if somebody walked in and told me they were a swinger, I'd be totally okay with that until it actually happens. And then they get, you know, like deer in the headlights sort of thing going on. Um, And for anybody who's curious, I am working on that on the physician side as well. I give lectures related to this to physician groups um, at conferences and whatnot. So I'm, I'm trying to get your doctor to not be weird about it. But right now, the number of physicians that if you walked in and said that, that wouldn't look like a deer in the headlights is probably quite low. So there's a couple of kind of like quick tidbits. This probably isn't something to bring up at your regular annual appointment. I know that sounds odd because that's usually when people go to the doctor. But at that appointment, it would maybe be a good time to say, you know, when they ask, hopefully they do if you're sexually active, to say, yes, I am. And by the way, I'd like to have a separate appointment to talk about my sexual activity. Is that okay? Because if you start digging into the lifestyle and your doctor's thinking about your flu shot, it's going to get confusing. And we call those door handle conversations in the medical community. About the time the doctor touches the door handle, the patient says, oh, just one more thing. This is one of those one more thing conversations that really should be a separate appointment. That's good advice. I would never have thought of that. I would have always said it in my regular appointments. Yeah, I think most doctors, if you bring up something like that in a regular annual, they're going to be so blindsided. They won't, number one, know what to do with it. And number two they're not going to have time to get to that and still do everything else that they're supposed to do at that annual appointment. We have a lot of stuff that has to be done, everything from assessing whether or not you're wearing seatbelts to making sure that your gun safety is okay to making sure your pap smear is clean. It's a lot of stuff to do at an annual and bringing up a side conversation like that is totally overwhelming for the physician, especially if they're not prepared for it. So if you make a separate appointment to say, hey, look, I would really like to talk about my sexual lifestyle or about sex in general, when you come in for that appointment, the doctor is probably going to be thinking, okay, maybe they need STD testing. Maybe they're having a sexual dysfunction issue. It kind of puts them in the right brain space, but it also gives them a full 15 to 30 minutes to address that one thing. So you have enough time to evaluate, okay, what's your risk? What type of testing do we need? And I think it's probably a great idea as a member of the lifestyle to bring the information with you for your doctor in case they're not aware of what they need to do for you. Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea. And, you know, you know, I, I think you're familiar with shameless care, right. And that, and that, that, that website and that, um, yeah. And part of what we like, you know, we we're partnered with them and and they're a a sponsor of of ours. But what I like about that website is they have that quiz that you can take, right. There, there's a quiz that asks kind of all these questions that you're talking about, like, how often do you engage with people? You know, how often do you have multiple partners? Do you do anal sex? Do you, you know, that gets really in depth and, and then it kind of based off your questions, recommends a testing regime and, you know, they, they get into the whole getting throat swabs and stuff like that, which, you know, I've never even heard of before, you know, having that mm-hmm. conversation with shameless. So I think there's just so much information and it's, it's, it's nice to, 
you know, be able to go to a website, take a quiz, and then at least have an idea of what, you know, when you go to your doctor, what type of testing you should be asking for. Because like you're saying, some of these doctors might not, might not even have that information. Yeah, the, you would think if you asked for an STD test that that would be a standard protocol test at the doctor's office, but it's not. Everybody does different things for STD testing. Yeah. No, and that was, you know, when we had that conversation with Shameless Care, you know, a couple of months ago, that was mind blowing to me. I, cause I, you know, I was like, man, I've gone to the doctor so many times and asked for like an STD, you know, like give me, like, you know, give me an STD panel or, you know, work up or, you know, whatever you call it. And then they just do it. And then they, they you know, I get a piece of paper in the mail and it got, got all these words of things that I, I don't even understand what half of them are. But as long as it all says negative, I know I'm good to go and I keep doing my thing. But I never would have thought that, oh, I really should have got this throat swab test. And, you know, like, and if I didn't get that, well, I could have these other diseases and not even know it. Like that whole thing just blew my mind when we first had that conversation. But, um, it definitely seems like it's a thing that we're not all doctors are universal on how they do testing for STDs and STIs. Yeah. And it's, it's not even universal amongst gynecologists. Like I have partners in my actual practice where I work now that don't do some of the tests on an STD panel because it isn't exactly recommended. And I know that sounds kind of odd, but it's true. Yeah. Uh, so what I think we're going to get, we'll wait to the backside of the break and we'll get, we'll deep, deep some dive or dive deep into the STDs and SDIs. Um, but okay. the, the other thing I want to talk a little bit um, before the break is um, sex education in America, right? It, it seems to me, and I, you know, I, I listened to a few of your, your YouTube videos and I think one of the questions you got asked is what's an orgasm, right? right from an adult female, I believe it was. Um, it seems to me, you know, being a swinger that, my knowledge on sex and, and sex education has just uh, expanded <laughs> quite wide compared to where it was uh, prior to that. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on sex education or on just people's knowledge of sex information in general? Um, where are we at? What can we do about it? Uh, yeah, sex education in the United States, I, I would say it's just above deplorable. <laughs> so... Ah, it depends on which state you're in. That's one really big thing. There's some states that are doing a lot better job than others. Uh, which ones those are, I'm not going to list out right now. But if you're getting at least some education about your anatomy and the anatomy of the other genders, then you're probably doing pretty good as a state. I do have patients coming in not knowing that there are three holes in their pelvic floor they don't realize that you don't pee and have a baby out of the same hole. So I, I think we're probably doing better now um, than we had been. I will say my uh, one of my kids is nine and the, their class just recently sent out like this huge email. We're going to be starting sex education and we want you to watch this video and make sure that you're okay with your child watching it. And when I went onto the website to watch it, it was produced by a very large company. And all it was talking about was, hey, you're going to start getting moody and you're going to start growing hair in certain places. And eventually you're going to start having a period. And I was like, they think that is sex education? That is basic yeah. anatomy. I mean, like, we should know that as a human that you get hair in your armpits and on your like genitals. That That's not sex education. They didn't talk anything about sex at all or arousal or, hey, you may look at somebody of a particular gender and think that's super awesome and get a little tingly feeling. Nothing. Nothing to do with sex at all. So the fact that our country 
equates anatomy with sexual education just blows my mind. People ought to know, you know, what their genitals are, what they look like. And I'm a big proponent of telling my patients to take a, to take a mirror and look down there because everybody's genitals look a little bit different. It, it just, that just blows my mind. So as far as like sex education for like how sex works, um, stuff like consent, uh, rape education, education to prevent sexually transmitted infections, you're not going to get a lot of that in school in many states. And for me, that's a big passion. I love seeing teenagers in my practice because I like having those conversations with them before they make the mistakes that a lot of the adults that I know did. Yeah, no, I think I think that's huge. And it is interesting to me that I don't know, it's almost like we just leave it to the Internet and porn to teach our, you know, to teach people about sex and, and, and you know, and all that things, which is seems so, you know, like toxic almost. You know what I mean? Like you're learning everything the wrong way. But but unfortunately, it seems like that's where a lot of teenagers kind of learn that stuff. Yeah, I think there was some data put out about that. And again, not going to try and be the numbers Nazi, but um, teenagers learning about sex is most common from their peers, the internet and their parents. Um, And if you start looking into different religious backgrounds, those three different areas tend to like very widely swap. Super conservative. You don't get anything from your parents. You get it mostly from your friends and a little bit from the internet because you're afraid to Google that stuff on your computer because your parents might find it. And people who are in households that are a little bit more open about it, the parents are more likely to give basic information and then the curiosity comes from the internet and the friends, etc. I don't want my kids to learn about sex from pornography because that's staged. Um, As an adult who knows how things are going on, pornography is completely fine and actually helps with sexual drive. But teenagers learning sex that way are going to be sorely disappointed when the woman's not making the right noises. I I agree. Um, no, that's, that's a good point. That, that's all. That's all right. Um, okay, so I think what we're going to do now is take a little break, and we're going to hear from the sponsors and partners of the Swing Nation podcast. And then when we get back, I think we're going to do the deep dive and, and ask all the STD questions that we've ever got asked, and see if you can sort um, some of this chaos out for us. All right, sounds like a deal. All right, guys, we'll, we'll be right back. We here at the Swing Nation podcast are proud to partner with Promescent. Listen, guys, we've all been there. You're having a hot night with a hot chick, maybe a few hot chicks, but you need to kind of delay the time before you pull that trigger. That's where Promescent comes in. They have this awesome product called the Delay Spray. You literally spray it on, and it delays the time that you orgasm so you can make sure that your partner is well taken care of. And as swingers, we're all about making sure our partners are well taken care of. And Promescent Delay Spray is the perfect product for that. Click the link in the show notes below to get yours today. Attention men in the lifestyle. Shameless Care is a telemedicine company specifically for people in the swinger lifestyle. And for a limited time, you can try Shameless Care for free. You'll receive an online medical consultation and both the generic version of Cialis and Viagra. That's right, you can try the company the most popular ED drugs and doses risk-free. This way, you can decide which drug and dose you prefer moving forward. Or if the medications aren't helpful, you can cancel. 
Shameless Care pays for your online medical consultation and medications. You pay only $3.99 for shipping. We are taking all the risk. Go to shamelesscare.com slash trial and use coupon code TSN. That's shamelesscare.com slash trial and use coupon code TSN. The Swing Nation podcast is proud to announce an official partnership with SDC.com. SDC stands for Seek, Discover, Connect. And with over 3 million members in over 50 countries, it's the world's largest lifestyle community and a great place to link up with open-minded couples, singles, and kinksters from around the globe. Whether you're just starting your lifestyle journey or you're an old pro, SDC has something to offer you. With chat rooms, live cams, groups, and blogs, there's always naughty fun to be found. SDC.com also has expert advice, professional articles, and entertaining content to enhance your erotic lifestyle journey. With information about parties, events, clubs, and businesses, SDC is so much more than just a hookup site for swingers. It's truly an epicenter that can keep you plugged into the pulse of the lifestyle community in your area. We personally love the website's ease of use and amazing customer support. They have supported us in our podcast and giving generous donations to our charity fundraising efforts. So if you're looking to connect with like-minded people, click the link in our show notes and sign up for SDC using our affiliate link and receive a full access for 14 days completely free. Make sure you join the Swing Nation SDC group and send us a message. All right, guys, welcome back. We're still here with Dr. Store. And uh, I think on this side of the break, we wanted to ask you about all the all the things and all the questions about STDs and STIs. This is probably the top um, question that we get asked on TikTok and social media. Everybody is super concerned about swingers and um, STDs. So I think the, <laughs> the first question I, I want to ask you, and this is, you know, is it an STD or is it an STI or is there a difference? Is it the same word? What, what, what is that? It's actually the same thing, sexually transmitted infection or sexually transmitted disease. A lot of the medical literature now uses STIs instead because not all of them are necessarily considered diseases because they are very curable with just short dose antibiotics in some cases. So most of us call it STIs, but it doesn't really matter. You can say it either direction. That's what I thought, but people, but people are even confused on that, right? And that's that's just the the, the acronym we use to, to talk about it. Very interchangeable, um, which it's like being a swinger and being in the lifestyle are they exactly the same? No, but do we use them the same way? Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. So now that we've cleared that up, um, I think I want to get a little bit into the, you know, everybody thinks that swingers are you know, the most at-risk population in the world for STDs and STIs. And don't even think about being a swinger because that, that that's just a group of people that are spreading diseases. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, it's not just my thoughts. We have data on this. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Right? Okay, so... Um, there's a handful of literature articles specifically related to use of protection during sex. Uh, people who are cheating on their spouses are infinitely less likely to use protection than those of us that are uh, non-monogamous intentionally. It's something like uh, 60 to 70% of people who are cheating on a spouse are not using protection. And people that are in the monogamy lifestyles are about 90% using protection. So if you consider that, um, technically swingers are probably less likely to catch a sexually transmitted infection than people who are cheating on their spouses. That's a good thing. 
Yeah. I, I mean, you shouldn't be cheating on your spouse. If you want to have sex with somebody else, get into lifestyle, um, my opinion. But yeah, we actually don't have any data to show that people within the lifestyle are more likely to catch sexually transmitted infections. And in fact, based on data, they probably are less likely because they're more conscientious about it. Right. And so in, in the most at-risk population, from my understanding, is is teenagers, right? Or younger adults, is that? Absolutely. Under the age of 24, recommended to do STD testing yearly, despite whether they say they're sexually active or not. They all lie. I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah. All, all well, and I think about that. I think about my non-swinger days versus my swinger days. I was never STD tested prior to being in the lifestyle. Not once. Um, but once I became in the last sub, then I actively started. And I can think of like, especially when I was younger and as a woman didn't really have a voice or didn't really choose to use that voice. You know, there's a lot of times where I had unprotected sex and, and like me now, that's completely different. I would never do it now. I think people forget that. Yeah. Young people, I think are more concerned about accidentally getting pregnant than they are mm-hmm. about catching an, an STD. Um, And I know this is going to be kind of maybe a a weird little thing to throw out at this point, but I always tell my patients, especially my teenagers, that boys are stupid. No offense, Dan. Men's prefrontal cortex, which is the area of your brain that processes the assessment of danger, doesn't mature until age 25. So in my humble opinion, up until age 25, males are not actually able to consent to sex because they can't evaluate the danger associated. So just to throw that out there, um, yeah, men are much less likely to use protection under the age of 25 because they can't figure out that jumping out of airplanes is not a great idea. There's nothing wrong with jumping out of airplanes. That's, that's, I don't know. I that's have like. always wanted to do that. I'm not going to lie, but. I've done it. <laughs> It does make my point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. It does. Okay. So, all right. So, okay. Now we know what an STI is. Now now we know that swingers are not necessarily the Petri discs of STDs and STIs that and it seems like uh, they're, they're one of the most, um, would it be fair to characterize them as one of the most aware groups of people when it comes to STDs and STIs? Or, you know, I don't there's probably a few other communities, but it, in my experience, it seems like they, you know, the people I've engaged with at least are, are super hyper aware of uh, STDs and STIs. Yeah, I, I think we probably are more aware in general than the rest of the population. People who are doing like serial monogamy are less likely to use protection and less likely to have STD testing, et cetera. I, I agree. I think swingers are probably in the higher levels of conscientiousness about STDs. Yeah. Okay. I agree. That's great. We're we're on a good track here. I, you're, you're you're disproving so many TikTokers right now. It's it's crazy. I don't I don't, I don't, I don't know how you feel about that. But. Thanks, Dan. Throw this out to TikTok. I, I'm happy to get on your TikTok anytime. Um, okay. What are some of the STDs? Or I guess I'll start using STIs. I don't know why I keep saying both, but no, it what, doesn't matter. What are some of the STIs um, swingers should educate themselves about and be aware of, um, or some things about STDs and, uh, that they should be aware of on your in your expert expert opinion experience, okay. Um, so there's a, there's a couple things that I think are probably less known out there. Um, so the the most common sexually transmitted infection is actually HPV. That's human papillomavirus, which causes abnormal pap smears and genital warts. So by far, by far, the most common STD. Shortly after that, for like population amount. 
Um, it kind of rides back and forth between chlamydia and herpes. Um, and this is herpes type 2, which we're going to get into herpes in a hot second because it's a doozy. But there's a lot more people hanging around with genital warts and herpes than you would think. Those are all more common, infinitely more common than things like syphilis and HIV. One of the chats that I always have with my patients that are new to sexual activity, especially my teenagers, is that many of the sexually transmitted infections are protected against with condoms like HIV, hepatitis, syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, and trichomonas. I'll talk about that one in a minute too because it's less commonly known. But the two that are gifts that keep on giving that most of the population has that are not protected for with condoms are HPV, and herpes. You only need skin-to-skin contact for those. Usually this is about the time my teenager's eyes in my office start bugging out because they didn't realize you can catch herpes with just skin-to-skin contact. No, that's, I think that's, that's <laughs> excellent information. And, and, you know, I don't know at what point you, you wanted to, to dive into the herpes thing, but um, I guess, the, you know, the follow-up question to that was, made, okay, then what, what, what do we do about that, right? If, if these diseases can be spread with skin-to-skin contact, obviously skin-to-skin contact is very common in swinger environments. What should we be doing? Okay, so as far as skin-to-skin contact goes, I mean, you earlier were suggesting wearing like a hazmat suit during sex, and that sounds like a great idea as a gynecologist, but not very fun as a swinger member. Um, the, the biggest thing about skin-to-skin contact, it's really important for you to know what your own STD status is. Um, And it would be ideal if you knew the STD statuses of everybody that you're having sex with, because then we wouldn't have to worry about that. The problem with HPV and HSV, herpes and warts, is that you don't necessarily have to have symptoms to share those with your sexual partner. I always tell my teenagers, if you see something down there that doesn't look familiar, do not touch. So just avoid, tell them if you're a female, in my office, they're typically females, not always, but if you're on your period, just, you're on your period. If there's something funky looking down there, just tell them that. I'm so sorry. I just started bleeding. Darn it. Um, So if you ever see anything you aren't familiar with, just avoid. The other thing is though, there are some things you can do medication wise to prevent yourself from catching herpes and warts. Okay. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. There sure is. (laughs) Wow. Okay, tell us about it. Okay, so if we're going to get into prevention, so we'll start with prevention just for herpes and and, uh, genital warts. So genital warts, the Gardasil vaccine, which your children are probably being offered at their pediatrician's appointment, protects against the five most common types of genital warts and the four most common types of HPV to cause cervical cancer. Everybody that's in the swinging community should have the full set of Gardasil shots, bar none, no questions asked. That will prevent a lot of heartache, frustration, and disgustingness, shall we say. Can you get that at this age? Because I am 38, so right as I was, you know, old enough that I think this all came out about that age. And I was always told that I was too old for that because, yeah, like I do have a a teenage son and he is getting it. So I just always thought I was too old to get those shots. You were too old then. The shot came out about 14, 15 years ago now. Mm -hmm. Um, Gosh, I'd have to do my math. No, it's 16 years. It's been 16 years since the HPV vaccine came out. When it originally came out, it was FDA approved for females between the ages of 9 and 26. 
However, since then, and over many, many years and many, many woes, we have gotten it approved for both males and females, and in females all the way up to the age of 46 to be covered by your insurance. If perchance your insurance doesn't want to pay for it, you can pay out of pocket for the Gardasil vaccine until the day you die. Oh, wow. That's good to totally know. Good. I, I've never been told that. Yeah, I just don't know how much they cost out of pocket, but I do have patients that regularly request the Gardasil vaccine. Once I know that they're in the swinging community, um, I recommend it to them. And I'm like, if you haven't had these shots, you should, even if you need to pay for it out of pocket. Mm-hmm. And it's, is it a series of two shots or just one? It's three shots, actually. Okay. Um, the first day you get the first shot. Two months later, you get another shot. And then four months after that, you get the third shot. They all need to be done within a year of each other to be effective. Okay. So that one's a big one. Um, yeah, prevention of Yeah, prevention of herpes is a little bit more complicated, shall we say. And it's mainly because the medication that you can use to prevent uh, catching herpes doesn't have a lot of great data on it, nor is it FDA recommended or CDC recommended to use the medication that way. However, there are several studies that show that taking Valtrex, if you don't have herpes, can potentially prevent it. In patients that already have any type of herpes, so herpes 1 or herpes 2, taking Valtrex will prevent most cases of shedding that. So if you start digging into the details for herpes, a good chunk of the population has HSV1, about 80% of us, and those are cold sores, and they're most often not considered sexually transmitted infections, which is why your primary care provider or gynecologist may not be testing for that. But you can get it on your genitals. It's more common to be on your mouth, and it causes cold sores, which a lot of people just get from their Aunt Fanny giving them a kiss when they're four years old. So you can take Valtrex to prevent outbreaks of cold sores. And it also, based on a couple of papers, should prevent you from catching HSV2 from someone else. So most of my patients that are swingers, I do recommend taking Valtrex to prevent catching other versions of HSV if they have it already. Um, it's a really cheap medication and your insurance is liable to cover it. Okay. Yeah. So that that's where I, I get a little confused, right? So HSV1, HSV2, uh, one is oral, two is um, your genitals. Um, in testing form, there's a few different tests, right? There's uh, some kind of antibody mm-hmm. test and then there's actually physically swabbing a sore or something and doing some kind of test on that. Is that my, is that generally right? Yeah, yeah. No, you're doing pretty good so far. <laughs> okay. You want me to dig in? Uh, yeah, well, no, but, but some, some STD testing places, so I've seen like some tests for it. Like Just like you said, there's no like across the board requirements for an STD panel. So if you go into a doctor and say, I need an STD test, some may check for it and some may not. So there is some confusion there for us as well. Right. That is correct. So HSV checks are not actually typically recommended across the board by the various and sundry medical bodies out there. So if you go into an STD clinic and ask for an STD panel or your gynecologist or your primary care, the most likely thing to be left out of that, if they're going to leave something out, is your herpes check. Herpes 1 and herpes 2 are most commonly checked for antibodies unless you have an active outbreak. So it would be a blood draw. We're looking for your body's response to the virus in your system. HSV1 and HSV2 can be told apart from each other by blood testing. If you have an active outbreak, either on your lip from typically HSV1 or your genitals typically from HSV2, that can be swabbed and sent off. And then we can tell which version of herpes that is. 
if it comes back positive. Now I say if, and if is a really big if there, because the cultures are not always accurate. The rate of false negatives, which means you actually have the virus, but it came back negative anyways, is actually around like, you know, 12% or so, maybe a little bit more. So just swabbing the area for an active sore may not always be accurate. So typically if we see, hey, there's sores, I'm going to go ahead and swab that. This looks consistent with herpes. I'm going to send off some Valtrex, but we should bring you back in like six to eight weeks and check your blood. Because while you have an active primary outbreak, your blood testing won't be positive yet. I know this gets confusing. So let's make, let's make it quick and easy. If you're getting a swab, it could, it could be inaccurate. You should get retested. HSV-1 is typically oral. HSV-2 is typically genital. Those can be checked for with swabs and with medication. Now, if we get into the more confusing stuff, the vast majority of people who carry one of those two viruses don't know that they have it unless they've been tested. What I've heard about this, the the antibody test, is that that can be widely inaccurate as well? Is that is that true or is that false? No, that's actually, that's actually pretty accurate. If you have antibodies against HSV-1 or HSV-2, you have been exposed to it at some point in your life. It doesn't guarantee that you have an active infection, but it guarantees that you have been exposed to the virus. Those are pretty accurate as long as it's been long enough since your initial exposure. So not to get into too much of the medical stuff, but there's a different type of antibody that pops up when you first get exposed and when you've been exposed for a while. It takes your body a little bit of time to build up that immune response and it changes over from one type of antibody to another. So in those first like six to eight weeks after being exposed to most of the um, viral type STDs like HIV and herpes, you have to get retested for the antibodies later because they may not initially show positive. But once you have a positive HSV test, it's almost always accurate. Okay. So for HS, for I guess for herpes, for swingers, you would you recommend everybody getting screened for that antibody test then? Absolutely. I think everybody who's in the swinging community really ought to be getting tested for herpes. I would alert people that when they get that testing back, the HSV-1 is liable to be positive. 80% of the time it is. That is not considered a sexually transmitted infection in the medical world. Can it be? Yeah, absolutely. Most of the time it's not. So what I mean by that is if you come back positive for HSV-1 and you've never had a cold sore or an outbreak in your life, you have had the virus, but your likelihood of transmitting that to somebody else is exquisitely low. It's really low for HSV-1. HSV-1 usually only spreads when you have symptoms. Now, if you come back positive on your test for HSV-2 and you're like, I've never had an outbreak, never had a cold sore, that's actually how people spread herpes is because they don't know they have it. It's very common. In patients who have no symptoms, you can still spread the virus. In fact, about 10 to 14% of the time, the virus is spread by patients when they're asymptomatic. So there's, there's a couple of studies on this in patients where they were in a monogamous relationship. The wife had herpes, the husband did not. And over a year, there is a 10% risk that the husband will catch it if they don't do anything to prevent that. Now, if you actually start looking at the data for number of people that catch herpes, if they go back and ask the person who they think gave it to them, 70% of the time that patient will not know that they had herpes in the first place. 
So I usually tell my patients when they catch herpes, look, don't be upset with your partner. Doesn't mean they're cheating on you. They may or probably don't know that they have it. So unless you check STD tests, it's a very good possibility you're running around with herpes and not knowing it. The good news about it, if you're going to have some good news about having herpes, is that you're in the majority of the population if you have HSV1. And about 14% of the population has HSV2, which is more commonly on the genitals. HSV2, one in eight people, that's a big number. So if you get a diagnosis of that, don't freak out. If you get a diagnosis of that and you're in the swinging community, it does not mean you have to stop swinging. What I usually recommend for those patients is to start taking Valtrex. Because once you're on Valtrex, even for just a few days, you take it daily and you will not shed the virus. The risk of shedding the virus when you're on Valtrex is ridiculously low. It's on par with catching HIV. Wow. That is so much information. Like, <laughs> it gets I mean, intense, you, I know. You did a really good job of explaining it, but it's just, it's as a swinger, it's, I think, I think herpes is like my number one thing that I worry about, you know, because like before we started recording, Dan asked you about oral protection for herpes because we, swingers typically always use protection for penetrative sex, but not for oral. And so we always run the risk of giving or contracting herpes. So it's just very scary. Yeah, the good news about herpes is usually if it's going to be caught while giving oral, it's the person who's giving the oral having HSV on their lip is more likely to give it to the penis and not the other way around. Is it possible? Yeah, it is. Um, but unless somebody has an active cold sore, giving oral with a history of HSV-1, it's not going to spread that way. HSV-1 is not what we call virulent. It, it's, it doesn't spread easily without an active infection. So unless you've got an active cold sore, giving oral, fine. Receiving oral, fine. Now, if somebody's got HSV-2 on their genitals and you're giving them oral, and they're not taking any prophylaxis, can you catch that as a cold sore on your mouth? Yes. You just treat it with herpes like you would anything else, to be honest, because you can catch HSV-2 in your mouth. It's usually a cold sore just like it would be if it was HSV-1. Um, but there are other STDs that can be caught orally. Heads up. Unintended. I guess to kind of close out the herpes thing, do you feel like if you're a swinger, um, you should be taking Valtrex? It sounds, it sounds like that's what, somewhat kind of what you're advocating. In my humble opinion, yes. <laughs> Do I have a lot of data to back up people being on Valtrex when they don't have herpes of any kind? No. But we do have a couple of papers that say that you're less likely to catch herpes if you're taking Valtrex. So if you've got it, 80% of the population within the swinging community by statistics has HSV-1, you should definitely be taking Valtrex. And that other 20% of the population that hasn't been exposed to HSV-1, you could probably get it anyways, just because of your risk situation. Right. So, so it's, yeah, it's, yeah. very low, low side effect profile, cheap medication. Everybody should be taking it in the lifestyle. Right. So it sounds like you should go get an antibody test for HSV-1 and 2. And either way, especially if you are, you're most likely going to be positive for at least the one. And then that, mm -hmm. that will get you the medication to prevent Absolutely. everything. Yeah, just tell your doctor you get outbreaks all the time of your oral cold sore. They'll put you on Valtrex in a hot second. Yeah, that's that's it's very interesting. It's, it's like Lacey said. It seems like 
like how do how are you the first person that <laughs> that puts this information out this way? Um, I think you know I think it's gonna be eye, pretty eye opening for a lot of the people that are listening to this. I'm working on it. I need. I'm trying to get this out there. This is part of getting it out there, Dan. You guys are the best. Oh, thank we're, you. No, this is like great information. I could sit here and like pick your brain for hours. Uh, okay. The other question I had, and Lacey touched on this a little bit. Where, where so knowing all this and knowing all the things you you, you know. Um, should swingers be using oral protection when they engage in sex? Or would you recommend that? Should is a really big <laughs> term. Um, should we? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we should be using protection during oral. Um, do most people do that? No. Do I do that? No. Um, giving oral to female genitals is complicated because it's really hard to find what they call a dental dam. You can order them online, but they're not super cheap. And I mean, has anybody ever actually seen one? I'm a gynecologist and I have not. So most people are not going to be using a dental dam to give oral to the vulva of a person. Giving oral to penises, it's a little easier to throw a condom on there and then give oral do most of us do that in the whole like scheme of things? No. And that's one of the reasons that getting STD testing is super important. Now you're thinking STD testing, but they just swab my vagina or they swab my penis or they draw my blood. How are they going to know if something's in my mouth? That's a good question, Dan. You actually should be getting your mouth swabbed every time. They'll swab it kind of like they do for strep throat. So a little Q-tip in the back of your throat and that gets sent off for STD testing as well. Many of the STDs can be caught orally, like gonorrhea, chlamydia, trichomonas, herpes. Gonorrhea in the back of the throat is probably worse than having strep throat. Patients say it's abjectly miserable. Mm. So if you went to the doctor and said, my throat hurts, I may have strep, would they check you for gonorrhea? So like if you got it, would they just do a strep test and then not come back negative and be like, oh, well... We don't know what's wrong. Like how, how would you? That's actually, yeah, no, absolutely. They would only test you for strep. They might test you for pneumonia. Mm -hmm. If you came in with a really sore throat and said, Hey, by the way, I'm a swinger and I love to give oral. They might think to test you for gonorrhea. Um, And and, and to throw this out there, this is going to be probably disturbing too, is that a lot of these STDs are asymptomatic. Mm -hmm. So you can have gonorrhea for a heck of a long time and not know it. And then it can progress to other things like gonococcal arthritis. I have had a patient with that in the not too recent past. Um, came in with sore joints and couldn't figure out what was going on. I happened to know this patient was in the lifestyle and did testing for it. And that's what it was. And she had seen a rheumatologist and her primary care doc and a couple of other people and nobody tested for it because they just weren't thinking about it. So, yeah, if you came in with a sore throat to an urgent care and said, hey, you know, my throat really hurts, they're not going to think to swap mm-hmm. me for gonorrhea. You would have to tell them to do it. Wow. Okay. Oh, I think we could go on for this for, for hours, but we're, we're, we're running a little short on time. But any, any, any other STI information that um, you think the lifestyle people should, should know about before we close out? Sure. I think one more thing that um, is kind of a big bugaboo on my side is trichomonas. It's probably the most common STD that people have never heard of. Um, Trichomonas can actually live in the genitals for years, like years. It can be asymptomatic and actually a fairly good chunk of patients. In patients where it is symptomatic, though, it's pretty miserable. And it's something that unless 
you tell your doctor to go looking for it, they may not think to look for. Um, it is often sometimes often left out of STD checking profiles if they're just looking for gonorrhea and chlamydia. Trichomonas, when it's symptomatic, will cause kind of a funny discharge that may or may not have an odor to it that's just kind of irritating and may cause itching on the vulva. And for males, if it's going to be symptomatic, it can cause a little bit of a drip from the urethra. Um, and it can cause a little bit of kind of general discomfort. So I see a fair number of patients in my office that are coming in for weird discharge and they've seen several other doctors and they've had swab after swab after swab and it's negative for all the bacterial vaginosis, gonorrhea and chlamydia are negative. And then as I pick through it, they've never been tested for trichomonas and that's what it is. So if you've got some symptoms and you've been to your doctor a couple of times and they can't figure out what it is, that's another really good one to test for. Yeah, it's one I've never even – You told when we had our pre-phone uh, call, you told me about that. And it's, it's one I've never even heard the name, I don't think, before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most people haven't. We call them movers and shakers. I know that sounds kind of funny, but when you look at it under a microscope, you can see them just like sperm. They move around. Man, you have an interesting job, doctor. I, I do. Just ask that much. <laughs> <laughs> Yet you still are a part of the lifestyle, so it, it hasn't scared you away. You're, you're still You're still here. It has not scared me away. And I think the reason that I'm even more confident being in the lifestyle with me and my husband is because I know how to protect us. And I want everybody in the lifestyle to have the opportunity to appropriately protect themselves. Yeah. So, you know, me and Lacey are, you know, kind of growing a community and growing our platform. So I'd love to stay in touch with you. And if you have like um, pamphlet, you know, like I'd like to post this information and make it readily available to our listeners. So I don't know, you know, some of the stuff you said about herpes, I think would be great to kind of have some kind of, you know, whatever pamphlet or if you have a blog on it or, you know, whatever, I think some way for us to post all that information and get it readily available and accessible to people um, that are part of our community. I think that would, would be great. Um, and, and then we'll just continue. Uh, I'd like to continue the relationship with you. And then um, I think, you know, stuff like this really needs to get to, you know, some of these, you know, when we have conventions at like Naughty in New Orleans and places like that, it would you know, be really good to have these kind of conversations because I know people are concerned about this kind of stuff. It just seems like nobody is out there talking about it. We all just kind of, I don't know, I feel like the swinger community at this point in time, it's almost like we just close our eyes and pretend like we, it doesn't exist and we don't have to worry about it. And then we just kind of hope for the best. At least some people are doing that. Um, I think, you know, Hopefully the majority of us are out there getting tested and stuff like that. But there's so much information. It's so confusing. And and you definitely cleared up quite a bit of it for me here today. And I appreciate that. Awesome. Well, I will tell you, education is one of my huge passions. And education related to the lifestyle is is way up there in, in my level of things that I love to do. So I am happy to keep in touch anytime you want me to chit-chat with you here. Or, I mean, I'd love to be a speaker at Naughty in New Orleans. That would be a blast. <laughs> um, I'm more than happy to kind of get into any and all speaking engagements for that. I um, am starting up a website. I'm still working on that, but I'm thinking it's going to be swingingsafe.com. So once we, yeah, once we get some of that information posted and some of the, like what to take to your doctor or what things you need to ask for, for testing, it'll all get thrown up onto that website. You better go buy that URL before this gets posted. Yeah, I know, right? Like right now, I've got Namecheap on another open it's, thing here. That's why I'm saying it should be that. Because I'm, I'm planning on using it. Sorry. We, we've been searching for URLs for our own stuff, and it, those can be hard to find. So, yeah, we'll go buy that right now, Doc. Um, yeah, I'm working on it. I'm going to get it like right, right now. <laughs> All right. All right. Anything else you want to put out before we, we close out here? Not at this point. I I think we're pretty good. If you don't have anything else to ask right now, I don't have anything else to throw out there that we haven't already gotten into that won't be a really long conversation. So 
Um, yeah, I can I can stand on some pedestals for a really long time about some of this. Stuff. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, well, definitely, if you have more, <laughs> let us know and we'll, we can do part two at some point. I think that um, I'm sure this will spark conversations and we'll get asked more questions. And now, now we have now we know who to turn to. So mm-hmm. appreciate. Uh, yeah, for sure. Appreciate you taking Throw the time. Those questions out to me anytime. All right. Awesome. Uh, so, Lacey, you got anything for, for the yeah, group of Swing Nation it. listeners? All right, guys. I think with that, in a world full of apples. Be the pineapple. Be the pineapple, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed our podcast and want to support us, leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. If you want to see more of our content, you can find links to Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, OnlyFans, and more in the show notes. Come join the conversation with us and other Swinger content creators on our Swinger Society Discord server. If you have questions or feedback, email them to us at theswingnation at gmail.com. Make sure you head on over to theswingnation.net and keep up to date on all things Swing Nation. We thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.